electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, a vaccine on the way. UK regulators become the first to approve emergency use of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine as soon as next week. Things are happening. I mean, we're people are going to be getting that vaccine in the UK, like near term. So it's good. Diversify or delist the Nasdaq's new rule for its listed companies and what the move means for the rest of corporate America. Ford Foundation's Darren Walker. This is is about performance, this is about productivity, and this is about profit. So this is not about political correctness. And Uber, Nestle, ExxonMobil board member Ursula Burns. We're talking about including skilled, diverse people on boards. They exist. They have not been included in the past. Plus, what have you been wearing these days? I'm betting it's not runway. But Rent the Runway CEO says despite our pandemic sweatsuits, her business is holding steady. We have seen wider diversity of who's actually coming to the site in the first place. And we think that that change is permanent. It's Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. Sit back, relax. That's coffee, Andrew. Or are you really going crazy and having some seltzer and breaking all the rules? Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box. This is CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The UK authorizing the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine for emergency use. It will first go to medical workers and elderly people in nursing homes with vaccination set to start. It's going to happen as early as next week. And CNBC's Juliana Tadelbaum joins us from London with more. Good morning. Andrew, good morning. Well, it certainly feels like a big day here in the United Kingdom with the UK becoming the first country in the world to authorize this BioNTech-Pfizer vaccine. 40 million doses are due to arrive in the UK between this year and next year, and they're going to arrive in stages. The vaccinations are set to begin next week, and there are going to be three different modes of delivery. First off, the hospitals, then the vaccination centers, which are currently being set up, and then eventually community rollout, which means pharmacy and general practitioners will be able to give you these vaccines. And today we also learned around the order prioritization of the vaccines. Uh, During the first phase, the vaccines will go first to people who are most at risk of dying from COVID-19, as well as health and social care workers. And what was explained to us this morning in a press conference from the British medicines regulator was that the the calculations were based on estimated risk of dying from COVID-19. And the the, the biggest single risk factor there is age. So the first people who will receive this vaccination or be offered the vaccination are residents in care homes and their carers, then all of those who are 80 years of age or older, as well as frontline health and social workers. Then it goes down in about five-year increments. And then number six on the priority list are all those people between the ages of 
16 and 64 with underlying health conditions, which put them at higher risk of serious disease and mortality. So we learned all of that this morning, as well as we got some comments from the British health regulator saying that the vaccine is safe for widespread use. The safety of this vaccine is similar to other vaccines and most side effects are usually mild. So trying to offer some assurances to the British public on this historic day. Andrew? As you look at that timeline, what does that look like in terms of going from the nursing homes down to, you said there was number six on the list. What what are are they telling the public and how are they going to be contacted over time? Because I think a lot of people are looking at what's happening in your country as a trial run uh, very selfishly for what may very well happen here in the United States. Well, what's unique about the United Kingdom is that this is all being done in a very centralized way through the NHS, which is our national health system. So the NHS will reach out and offer the vaccine to those uh, people as they appear on the list, and they'll do this in a centralized manner. When it comes to moving down that list, we are expecting 40 million doses of the vaccine between now and the end of next year. So that's just 20 million people because this is a two-dose regime. So it will take some time. It will likely be the middle of 2021 before we see the masses uh, popul- uh, the, the masses vaccinated. So it's really going to be the elderly who are prioritized and are going to get this vaccine near term. Okay. Juliana, thank you uh, so much. It's good news uh, for the UK and uh, hopefully good news for the world. Appreciate it. In the meantime, the CDC has voted on immunization practices here in the United States. It decided that healthcare workers and those in long-term healthcare facilities will get the vaccine first. But of course, that raises all kinds of questions in itself because there's not going to be enough in the very early days to cover all of those people. So there will have to be those who are prioritized even within those ranks. The CDC is also set to update its quarantine guidelines. It will say that people who have been exposed to COVID should quarantine 17 to 10 days down from the current recommendation of 14 days. To get that number down to seven days, an individual would have to receive a negative COVID test. Otherwise, you have to wait for 10 days. Joe. Hmm. To think about that. Have we adopted that yet? At, the, at, um, at NBC, I wonder if we I don't know. I know, I know you're counting the days yourself. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, I don't like the delay. Uh, it's it's difficult, um, and, and you know, it, we have that that great producer uh, Max. He gets me you know gets me stuff in the morning. You know he he uh, you know whether it's a uh, a latte Coffee? or something. But I look Bagel. forward to that. I, I miss that. I miss I miss that. I'm like uh, although I do get toast. You miss having people toast. wait on you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. There's someone here. This is self serve operation here, you know, over to, here. <laughs> is exactly. it for you? Cheers, Cheers uh, to you, Becky. Good. Is that that uh, oh, oh, cola? What was that tequila you? Uh, no, no, that probably not. that's coffee, Andrew. Or is that that? Or are you really going crazy and having some seltzer and breaking all the rules? Uh, yeah. I've got I've got no, the coffee here and I've got the water here. So uh, I mean, you could call yeah. it. It's clear, so it could be whatever you want it to be right now. Exactly. <laughs> A record number of Americans are renouncing their citizenship. And it's mostly because of money. Robert Frank joins us now with more. Robert, I, you know, I like to be, no, really, I like to be agnostic, objective, and not care about things. But just reading this, I just, I don't know. Uh, it's it just something so dear to, to, that some people work so hard for and would, you know, just, just would really, it's very precious and, and very, you know, 10 years, some people, uh, to, to finally, and it's a great day in their life. What is about money? It just... I don't know. I just didn't like reading that headline, but maybe it's not as bad as I think. 
Well, it's, it's about a lot of things, Joe. Let's just talk about the numbers first. The number of Americans who have renounced their citizenship has more than tripled since last year to more than 6,000. That is a record. Now, because U.S. embassies have actually frozen new applications since March, attorneys say the real number of people who intend to renounce could be five to ten times higher. And we've also seen a big surge in wealthy Americans buying second or third passports in Europe or Asia through the Golden Visa programs. Now, former Google CEO Eric Schmidt, he recently became a citizen of Cyprus, which allows him to travel freely in Europe. He, of course, is still an American citizenship, but also has that as an add-on. Now, all this exodus is driven mainly by a tax law that forced any American citizen to report overseas tax accounts and file taxes. But the pandemic has also increased demand for passport portfolios, that makes international travel a lot easier with all these lockdowns. And advisors say clients are citing the likelihood of higher taxes, more debt and political dysfunction in Washington as a reason to move to many of the places like the Virgin Islands, Montenegro and Singapore. Those are the popular destinations. Now, all this can be very expensive. Americans worth two million or more have to pay capital gains taxes on all of their assets as an exit tax for them to leave. And Joe, as you say, it's not only sort of something near and dear to Americans to have that passport, but it's also very costly to do it. So it shows you how motivated these 6,000 people were to renounce. So we had an election. The bad orange man is, is leaving, dude. I, I mean, this isn't Babs and, uh, you know, they, they, this isn't a Hollywood exodus from all. They never leave when they say they're going to do the though, unfortunately. Um, so it's not that we got a new. It, it, it's uh, capital gains on on every penny of that two million. That's that's hurtful. Well, yeah. And Joe, to your point, what prompted a lot of people to, to start either signing up or leaving in the first three quarters? Remember, these numbers could grow even more because we're still waiting on the fourth quarter numbers. Was the prospect of capital gains taxes under a Biden plan going to the ordinary income rates? So that actually makes that exit tax worth it as well as an increase in the estate tax. Now, a lot of people who move overseas do it to avoid capital gains in the estate tax, not so much about income tax. And if those two things were going up under Biden, that whole calculus of paying the income tax versus a higher uh, estate tax and capital gains tax actually became worth it for people to leave. Now, if we have a divided Senate, that's likely not going to happen. So this could all slow. But that was a reason, a catalyst, yeah. why a lot of people started to leave. The numbers are still pretty small, uh, Robert. And, and But it, it does kind of throw a, a, a wrench in the works of the notion that when everyone says, you know, they did that over in Europe and people move, just moved to different countries. And then people would always say, well, you can't do that here. You can't do it in the United States. You're stuck. Apparently you can do it if, if we nationally uh, uh, become too heavy as far as taxation goes. I guess you can leave. I mean, I could never, I don't think. Cyprus no, and, and again, it's the, the, you're right. The, yeah, the, the number is fairly small, but it's the tripling in such a short time, the tripling in one year, and that it's only the nine months, so it could grow even further. And the fact that because we've had frozen applications, there's a demand of five to ten times that amount. So then you're talking, uh -huh. you know, 40 to 60,000 people. Then it gets to be a real number and a real loss of, of revenue uh -huh. for taxes. All right, Robert Frank, I know uh, you'll, you'll be here. I feel, I feel the, the love, the, the love of country coming from you every day. So I, I think we'll still be together. Thank God. All right. See you later. Making some headlines. Elon Musk of Tesla, of course, 
Now, warning uh, his employees in an email yesterday, he called on workers to control their spending as Tesla continues to try to squeak out quarterly profits. He wrote, investors are giving us a lot of credit for future profitability, but if at any point they conclude that's not going to happen, our stock will immediately get crushed like a souffle under a sledgehammer. Tesla shares this year, uh, as you very well know, have uh, been on quite a tear. They're down a little bit this morning in large part because they will be uh, added to the S&P 500 later this month. And I don't know if you saw, he went on a trip to Germany in the past 48 hours and he was asked, I thought it was just such a, a fun line, he was asked whether he wanted to be buried on Mars and his uh, answer was just not on impact. <laughs> but I'm fun. That's clever. It so. is. That's I don't clever, want to be buried right? anywhere. Yeah. Is, uh, that's my answer. It's like, uh, you know, that, that's like, the, uh, would, would you rather know, <laughs> would you rather know denial, when you're going to die denial. or where you're going to die? Or where? When just you're going to so die where you're going to die. I want to know where. I just, I just won't where? go there. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Not Mars. All right. Next on Squawk Pod, moving corporations beyond checking the box when it comes to diversity. The Ford Foundation's Darren Walker. Tokenism is no longer acceptable. And I think we need to move from tokenism to real representation. And when we do that, companies will be better. It's not about charity. It's about the bottom line. Former Xerox CEO Ursula Burns is upending the notion of a pipeline problem. This idea that talent doesn't exist is a falsehood. The idea that they don't know where the talent is, is true. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Corporate America has a diversity problem. Surprise! We've been talking about it, and C-suites have been under fire about it for ages. But for the most part, possible solutions have been driven by companies, informal coalitions, or private investors. Individual answers to calls for institutional change. Until now. This week, the Nasdaq proposed a new rule for the 3,000-plus companies listed on its exchange. Right now, a bit of a scoop uh, this morning. Uh, the Nasdaq is going to be asking the SEC for permission to adopt a new requirement that would make companies listed on its exchange to have at least one woman and one diverse director. It's simple. Diversify your board or release a disclosure on why you can't. Failure to comply could mean being delisted from the exchange. Diversity here is a bit of a catch-all. The rule, if approved, would mandate at least one female board member and at least one underrepresented racial minority, or a member of the LGBTQIA community. The demographic breakdowns would become part of a mandatory disclosure for all NASDAQ-listed companies. To be fair, the NASDAQ isn't the first to make this kind of effort in the U.S. In 2018, California required all companies in the state to have at least one female director. And the quota approach, according to one Melinda Gates, could be the key to something big. Here she is to us last year. 
There are places that sometimes quotas make sense for a time to get things going. For instance, one of the countries that has the most number of women parliamentarians is Rwanda. It's because President Kagame came in and said, we will have at least 40% of women parliamentarians. They're way over that. In passing that legislation, California opened a conversation about qualifications, the talent pipeline, and the bottom line value of diversity. The CEO of the NASDAQ, Adina Friedman, coincidentally the first woman to have full leadership at a major U.S. exchange, highlighted that value on our TV broadcast this week. We're not the leader here in the world. The other countries have, have taken bigger and bolder steps in terms of um, requiring board diversity. And I think it's been an issue over, you know, over the last decade to try to understand how can we bring more diversity onto boards. There's a huge body of evidence to show that there's a, that there's a lot of benefits um, in terms of financial performance and control environment when you have a more diverse board. Some of that evidence. The Carlyle Group has reported that its investments with at least two diverse board members have nearly 12% more earnings growth per year than whiter, maler, straighter counterparts. As it stands, women hold just 23% of board seats in the Russell 3000. Tracking race and sexual orientation is trickier. Very few companies in the S&P 500 currently disclose their board demographics. Of those who do, nearly 80% of their board members are white. Melody Hobson, co-CEO of the first African-American-led asset manager, Ariel Investments, called Wall Street to action back in June on Squawk Box. What must we do? Hold ourselves accountable in corporate America. Set targets like we set targets on everything else. Incentivize people. On the forefront is the Board Diversity Action Alliance, founded by Darren Walker, president of the Ford Foundation and PepsiCo board member, and Ursula Burns, former Xerox CEO and board member at Uber, Nestle, and ExxonMobil. Both are, in the truest sense, leaders. Darren grew up black and gay in a rural Texas town, went to college on a scholarship, and now heads a $13 billion philanthropic organization and runs in the same circles as Mark Zuckerberg and Elton John. Ursula Burns grew up in a low-income housing project on the Lower East Side of New York City, and she became the first black woman to lead a Fortune 500 company, Xerox. That was in 2009. Today, the Fortune 500 has four black CEOs. All of them are men. Andrew Ross Sorkin and Becky Quick spoke to Ursula Burns and Darren Walker this morning about corporate diversity. Andrew kicks it off. Good morning to both of you. Uh, appreciate you being uh, with us. Ursula, I'm going to start with you. Um, this is a big decision uh, by NAS that could have a huge implication on over uh, 3,000 companies. Uh, of course, there are folks, the second this was announced, that said maybe a good idea that, that businesses should be pursuing, but not necessarily a rule. What do you think? I actually, I think that, you know, we're splitting here is here. I think that what um, NASDAQ did is an affirmative move. It is one that, um, as we spoke about before on this show, it's one that is long in coming. There is a body of evidence, full body of evidence that companies perform better with diverse boards. And so pushing against this or arguing against it, to, in my opinion, is, is actually senseless. It's something that we should get on with and just do. Companies across the United States, across the world, are starting to recognize this. And NASDAQ is just giving it a boost, actually, to push it forward. Darren, do you think, I mean, interestingly, the government, oddly enough, I don't know if it's oddly enough because it's a private business, it, it, NASDAQ's private business, does have to approve this. That's right. But, Andrew, let's be really clear here. This is uh, about performance. This is about productivity. And this is about profit. 
So this is not about political correctness. This will inure to the bottom line of every company that adopts this policy. Um, I think the challenge here is that there are people who don't like being told to do the right thing. Um, and I think what we know is from this year, I find that when I serve on boards and I serve on three public company boards, the goal is to, is to have every director accrete some value add to help the enterprise. If we look back this year, there were many companies in this, uh, in this environment who were not resilient in a moment where diversity would have helped those boards. I found myself in a situation, Andrew, with a CEO who had no diversity on his board or in his operating committee asking me to join him in a meeting with his black employees. Um, now, had he had a diverse board, he wouldn't have to call his black friend and say, would you come to meet with the black employees so that um, they understand that I care about our issues? If you care about the issues of your diverse employees, your board will look like them. Right. Employees, it's your customers, it's your shareholders. The world is a diverse world. And so inclusion um, of all types of people in decision making, in sharing of the gains and of the suffering is natural. So it, the, the debate and the discussion about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, I think, is in the past. Now what we have to do is get on with it. And I, and I really applaud NASDAQ in actually being the first in the United States to actually step out in this type of agency, to step out and move forward. And it does require government intervention and approval. And I think that, that this, when that happens, because I am fairly confident that that will happen, when that happens, it will be a, a, just an amazingly positive um, step forward for, for America's diversity and inclusion um, efforts. Okay, Ursula, I want you to speak to this. I know we've talked about it before. Uh, I got, I, I thought, a bit hammered on Twitter yesterday when some people seemed to think I was advocating. And, and to some degree, I am advocating for what I think is happening here. I, I, I think it's very important that we have more diversity on boards. But people come back and they say, look, what about meritocracy? Uh, you know, why are you doing this just based on somebody's gender or somebody's age? They say Sorkin. They say Sorkin, you're, 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 you're a middle-aged white man. Um, you know, we could, frankly, I think we all would agree we'd want more diversity even on our own network. This is a zero-sum game. You're going to be hurting other people. What do you, what do you tell those people uh, out there who have that view? We have never in America practiced this theory or seen this theory of a zero-sum game. This, this argument comes up only when we speak about diversity and inclusion, about including people who have the right, who have the talent. We have never discussed and I don't think NASDAQ is disgusting. I know the Board Diversity Action Alliance, Teneo, Ford Foundation, the ELC, all of the people engaged companies across America are not talking about, not speaking about, including people who are not um, up to the challenge and up to the game, who are not skilled in doing the work that's required. That's not a debate at all. And we, we seem to throw this debate in to kind of, I think, derail the conversation. We're talking about including skilled, diverse people on boards. Right. They, they exist. They have not been included in the past for myriad of reasons. Part of it is because people believe that they own, that white men own these seats. 
We're talking about including, including skilled people into the mix so that we can have better outcomes. As Darren said, this is not charity. This is a better bottom line, better financial performance, better, hap better and happier employees, better and happier investors, and end of discussion. It is, this is a good thing to do and the right thing to do. And you will not- Andrew, what this is about is incumbency and the status quo. And so what you are getting blowback on Twitter from people who are committed to the status quo. And I think we, given how much, how much corporate America talks about innovation and continuing uh, new frontiers, this is the next frontier in this country. In the post-COVID world, we will be living in a time where diversity is expected. Uh, you know, I don't show up on panels anymore where, that are not diverse. Uh, when you walk into a corporate boardroom and you were the only black in the kind of token pre-COVID world that we lived in, that was acceptable. Tokenism is no longer acceptable. And I think we need to move from tokenism to real representation. And when we do that, companies will be better. Hey, Ursula, you must get frustrated just from the number of people who say <clears throat> we can't find qualified candidates. We can't look for them. Uh, but w what do you tell them when they say things like that? How can you actually help boards or CEOs who are looking to make sure that they are promoting qualified people? Where do you tell them to look? What, what have they done wrong to this point? Where are they not thinking? Where, what are they not doing? I, I, I think one of the things that we have to do is help these people who don't, as Darren said, who don't have friends and neighbors that they generally run with that they can actually see have the talent that they need. Because the way that most boards are populated today, as you know, is I know a friend, I know a friend, I know a friend. So there are a couple of things. One is we will help them know better, better and more people. Darren can help. I can help. The Board Diversity Action Alliance can help. The ELC can help. There are organizations out there that can help identify people. Search firms can help. Second is that they get one, find one, and it's amazing, one of anything, African-Americans, gay, lesbians, uh, women, you, it's amazing how many kind of start to flock around like people. So if you get one, you'll get a second and a third. You'll be able to know a second and a third. So first, move to the first base, and then you'll be able to get more people. Third is that when you make it known, and what NASDAQ is doing, that it's a requirement, it is amazing how many people come out of the woodwork. It happened in the UK, it's happening in California. When they said that they had to have women, surprise, surprise, a lot of women appeared. This idea that there is not, that the talent doesn't exist is a, is a falsehood. The idea that they don't know where the talent is, is true. So I think what we have to do and what we will do and committed to do, black leaders, women leaders, are, is to help companies find people, help companies engage with search firms who can help them find people, and, we will, and we'll be able to make progress in this, in this space. Hey, Darren, uh, before we go, and we've got to run in a second, I just want to ask, uh, one of the things that Adina Friedman said yesterday is that her preference actually is that NASDAQ doesn't do this on its own, that actually the SEC uh, were to do something similar because they could do this across all the stock exchanges and frankly, not just public companies, but also private companies as, as well. Would you advocate for that? Absolutely. Um, the reality is we need to scale this idea and we need to scale it fast. And the, the most effective way to do that would be through public policy.
The bigger issue is on, on venture firms and on uh, private companies where there is little transparency and very, very little diversity. So this has to happen across the board. Ursula Burns, Darren Walker, an important conversation. We appreciate you joining us this morning, as always. Hope to talk to you again very, very soon. Happy holidays. Next on Squawk Pod, how pandemic wardrobes have altered retail, possibly forever. Rent the Runway CEO, Jennifer Hyman. Now we're living in a world where we're never going to think about health and the environment and sustainability in the same way again. It's going to be prioritized. We'll be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Well, the pandemic taking a toll on many retailers, forcing others uh, to rethink the way they do business. Rent the Runway uh, closed all of its physical locations and expanded its resale offerings. Joining us now is company co-founder and CEO uh, Jen Haim- uh, Hyman. Jen, thank you for, uh, for joining us. I know we were, we were going to do this a couple of times uh, previously, and it's great to finally uh, have you back on. Net-net, uh, um, and none of us will ever look back on 2020 fondly, obviously, but has there been some positives for you in terms of your business model and, and transitioning to what was, uh, you know, an inevitability anyway, is, is just been uh, sort of sped up for you? Yeah, I think that a few things. First is that this has pushed online shopping, especially in fashion, in a way that it would have taken decades to bring kind of customer segments onto the onto the web that weren't there before. So we have seen a wider diversity of who's actually coming to the site in the first place. And we think that that change is permanent because ageless customers are now feeling comfortable going on their mobile phone and shopping for fashion. The second thing that we saw is early on in the pandemic, We had had a very small resale business. It essentially doubled early on in the pandemic. Customers were deriving a lot of value from buying secondhand clothing. We had seen a shift when we surveyed our customers where sustainability, which had been a nice to have um, as a customer value prop for the first 10 years of the business, um, really became the first or second reason why customers were saying that they were starting their subscription or they were coming to rent the runway. So that is extremely positive for us and for the circular economy going forward, because I think that now we're living um, 
in a world where we're never going to think about health and the environment and sustainability in the same way again. It's going to be prioritized. And then we made decisions to um, make our subscription product more customizable. Clearly, during this pandemic, people were not using the subscription to get dressed for their everyday life as much as they were pre-pandemic because they were no longer going into the office. They no longer had any events. They weren't going out to restaurants, et cetera. So we had to offer personalized and more affordable programs so that customers could pay less and get less. And so that really enabled a more personalized product portfolio, which I think will benefit us in the future. Yeah. So that's hence the no unlimited rental plan. People don't really, I guess I don't really need that anymore. So, so you got rid of that. Is Jen, is it, I know, and it's totally different than renting a car, but you do, there's residual value to all these clothes. How, how is the resale of the clothes that are no longer rented? How, how does that play into things and how's that business? That business is soaring for us. Our resale business is, um, What's interesting is that people are buying every single category of clothing from us and accessories via secondhand price. We're able to dynamically price based on the age and the quality of the garment. And what we've seen over this pandemic is that secondhand clothing has just become completely normalized. In a a world where we're now uh, in a global recession and financial value is going to be even more important to the consumer. Having aspirational designer product on our site, but offering it at higher value than even an off-price retailer would be able to offer it, I think is a really compelling value proposition for the future. Right. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, Jennifer, we appreciate it. Jennifer Hyman, uh, Rent the Runway co-founder uh, and CEO. And we're glad we finally uh, were able to have you on, uh, Jen, and good luck. Happy holidays. I don't know, Andrew, the, uh, the vaccine news, a lot of it's out, obviously. And, and a lot of it is, I mean, out. Yep. The news is out and in the market uh, over the last uh, six months, obviously. Right. So I, I don't know how much more traction we get, but things are happening. I mean, we're, people are going to be getting that vaccine in, in the U.K., like near term. So, I mean, things are starting to happen. So it's good. It's good. And, and let's but, keep our but fingers crossed. From the market's perspective, are you saying, and, was that, I mean, you think I, that was supposed I, to be a, bo- a buy the rumor, sell the news kind of situation? Well, it always works that way. But um, I think the prospects for, I don't want to talk about hugs again, but I think the prospects for going to a bowling alley again, or, or uh, I'm trying to think of other things that, that people like to do that we're just not doing very much right now. I think the prospects for that, right. doing that again someday, maybe, uh, I like those bowling shirts, you know, I like wearing those, like, like uh, you know, like Charlie Sheen on that uh, two, two Men and a whatever it was. I, I, I just, I miss a lot of things that we don't do anymore. And, and okay, hugging is one of them, and, and seeing you guys every day at, at the NASDAQ, all those things. So we're getting there. We're getting there. Right. But the market has already gotten there, getting there, I think, in a lot of respects. The market's already there. Right? The market's already there. Uh, I, it it, it like appears it. that way, though. Hopefully things will get even better. So we can only hope. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Subscribe to Squawk Pod. Get us right in your feed, free, every day, wherever you listen. And maybe share this podcast with a friend. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 